Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. Focused on fruitfulness and how God wants us to have a fruitful year. Okay, not necessarily successful. Because a lot of people equate fruit and success, but we think of success in terms of the world, not in terms of um, kingdom. So I use the word fruitfulness because that's the word the Bible uses. John chapter 15. Jesus speaking and he's speaking about fruitfulness. I desire that you, you, you pr- produce much fruit. Yeah, you bear much fruit. An awesome thing with fruitfulness is it's a natural byproduct. Yeah, fruitfulness isn't something that you force. Okay, so fruitfulness is something naturally that comes from cultivation and from identity. Okay, and um, as I was thinking about that, because we, we're talking about it's a new year and we're looking at um, uh, what you might call it goals, and you're thinking about um, uh, New Year's resolutions, and some of you have already dropped those because it's uh, now towards the end of January and it's like um, I'm done trying. And so I want to show you because, I mean, even if you don't, like, if Marna was here, my wife, she would um, uh, uh, say um, uh, she's opposite of goal-orientated. So she actually encourages you not to make goals, not to have goals. <laughs> and she's got a good reason for that. And I'm more on that side as well, where it's not wrong to have a goal. Like, if you want to build a building, you have to have a goal of getting land and then, you know, having this and then building your house or whatever the case is. So you need short-term goals to accomplish something. But it's like, a lot of the time, goals are just a lot of pressure. And it gets you into performance. And in the world, with regards to business and things, performance isn't wrong. Hello? Performance isn't wrong. In the kingdom, it's wrong. You're not trying to perform for acceptance, and you're not trying to perform for value. In relationships, we shouldn't be performing for value, but we do, you, do, you do want a little bit of performing in your relationships. In the sense of, if someone's just really not... Uh, 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 doing anything, then you have to kind of have extra grace with them and it causes a lot of strain, right? So there's a level of performance. So we're not, when we talk about performance, we're not being anti-grace. We're saying that, that, that what, what it is, is when we get grace from God and we allow His love and goodness to impact us, it causes an overflow in relationships and in work and everything. But at work, you need to work hard. You know, got, uh, your boss isn't paying you by grace. He's paying you to perform. Okay, the, 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 if you're at varsity or something, they're not grading your papers by grace, unfortunately. Yeah, it, 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 you've got to perform. But one of the areas that we should all be wanting to change in is really just obviously growing in our character, growing in who we are, becoming more like Jesus. We are like Jesus, but becoming more like Him in living it out, right? Okay, for those of you who don't think like that, then get saved. Uh, <laughs> because as Christians, we should want to grow in our expression of Christ. And our expression of Christ is fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things aren't things that we force. It's fruit. But how do you cultivate that fruit? Because now, I've been in churches where they'll teach on love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And they'll say that all of these fruits of the Spirit, fruit singular, not plural, 
So they'll say all this fruit is something that you've got to work at. You've got to work hard to love people, be patient with them and whatever. And if you ask God for patience, He's going to give you opportunities to have patience. And that's just a lie. God can't give you patience. She's, you, you've already got patience in seed form in you. You need to cultivate it. Because patience is a character of Christ. You've all got Christ in you. Now you need to let Him out of you. So it's a case of channeling and allowing Him out of you. And there's one way that that happens. We're going to talk about that. So we're talking about becoming a better person, really. <laughs> so everyone that should have been here, you can tell them about this afterwards. And so, <laughs> Because obviously if they get better, then it'll be good for all of us. Amen? So, you know, the best person... Um, that I see, or example in the Bible of transformation, is Saul becoming Paul. So let's, uh, let's look at a couple examples, because let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. And while we're turning there, I'm just going to say this. You know, a lot of the time, we, we have this mentality that um, Christianity is a journey of becoming. I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm becoming more holy. I'm becoming more righteous. I'm becoming more. I'm becoming a better person. And nothing could be farther from the truth. In a way, I suppose yes, we're becoming more like Jesus in our expression. We're maturing. We're growing up. But you are who you are. You can't become more of who you are. My best example that many of you have heard is. Um, like, you know, what, William is now eight years old, my son, and my other son is six years old. And um, when they were born, they were 100% human. 100%. Not 10% human, not, not uh, 20% human, 100% human. Okay? They sometimes didn't act human. They sometimes act like dogs. They sometimes act like cats. And with that, licked me. And meowed and woofed. And, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed that when it was at that stage. But now, being eight and six, if they do that, it's not so cute anymore. <laughs> Imagine a 16-year-old woofing and wanting to lick you and act like a dog. But they're 100% human. They're just not acting like it. So when we're talking about becoming, we're talking about just maturity. We're not talking about identity. You are who you are and you can't change that. You're a child of God. You're 100% right with God, 100% of the time. You're 100% full of His, His goodness, His love, His presence, His power. That cannot change. But what can change is your belief of it. And the more you believe it, the more you start to express it, the more you're maturing in it. An elder in the church, okay, let me show you around a little bit here. Um, the only office, New Testament office, is elder. And there's different giftings of fivefold and all of that, pastor included, but there's really just an elder. Okay, if you look at Acts and, and New Testament Christianity, another story. But when we look at this, what is an elder? Paul writes to Timothy and he exp explains this is the qualifications for an elder. Titus, these are the qualifications of an elder. What is he saying? He's not saying that some of you should aspire to have these qualities. Because all those qualities are really 
a, a representative of maturity. Every Christian should be aiming to, 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 to live at that level where we're mature. The kingdom has place for the immature, but we shouldn't be aiming to stay immature in the kingdom. We should all be desiring to grow up in Christ. What does that look like? It's not pressure. And that's the difference in grace, and if you want to say legalism, grace and legalism. Legalism will give you the goal and say, this is who you need to become like, this is where you're going, now what you need to do is... Read your Bible, pray every day, pray. You know, they'll start to say, now you need to serve. Now you need to do this. And all of those things are good. But now you're sitting there and you're going, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to, to be a good Christian. I want to be mature. So let me read my Bible. Let me pray. Let me go to church. Let me serve in church. Let me give. Let me do this. Let me do that. It's like... Elliot, age six, saying, I want to be mature like my dad. Let me take his car keys and drive to the shop with his wallet and let me buy the groceries for today. That's not going to work so well. It's going to be a disaster. Amen? It, that's like Elliot saying, you know what? I saw my dad, uh, 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 what, doing something. I'm trying to think of what now. Um, Painting the, 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 the guest room. I think my bedroom needs some paint. Or he thinks daddy will love if his bedroom's painted. <laughs> so he goes and he gets the paint out the garage because he knows where it is. And he starts to paint our bedroom. Without uh, putting any plastic over the bed or, you know, nothing. And it's just like a, a, a lovely mess. And you, the heart is right. The heart is genuine. But the overflow to do that's not present. What do you call that? Immaturity. It's not sin. And a lot of the time we feel like we're living in sin because we're not mature. And you might be living in sin because you're not mature. But immaturity is not a sin. I have to say that again because you need to think about that. Immaturity will lead you to sin, but immaturity itself is not a sin. If you stay immature, you're not going to enjoy your Christianity. And you might end up turning away. You know, God won't turn away from you, but you can turn away from Him. And you can go out and live uh, uh, like the heathen, not following after God, not serving God, not loving Him, not knowing His love, simply because you were just, um, uh, 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 you never allowed yourself to take root in the Word and become mature and, and experience transformation in your life. You know, the, 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 uh, the, there's so many examples in the natural. You know, lifting up something heavy. You can't lift up something... Uh, if I can't lift up 10 kilograms, I'm definitely not going to lift up 20 kilograms. So, you know, as your, your muscles naturally develop or you develop them, then what? Then you have to pick up something... Then you can pick up something heavier. But it's like, if I wanted to go and lift, how much can you lift? <laughs> A number. 60? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's insulted. So let's say 60 kilograms. I don't know. He's, he doesn't want me to put him on the spot here. So let's say, like, um, uh, uh, um, I love you, Priyank. But let's say Priyank and, and Ben go decide to go to gym together. You know, Priyank hasn't been in gym maybe for a while or ever. And, but he's exercised with us. 
And it's not an insult, it's just the reality. He's, he's been exercising and running with us and everything, but he hasn't been doing weights like Ben. And so now Ben's going and he's lifting his weights and he gives the weights to, to um, uh, Priyank. And Priyank wants to be mature in the gym like Ben. So he, he pulls up these gyms and all of a sudden things start popping in his body. <laughs> and he needs to go to the doctor. Why? Because he wasn't ready for that. You know, it's the same thing with ministering to people. We've all got Jesus in us. And if we're out there on the streets and someone gets knocked over and they're busy dying, you have the power of God in you to be able to minister to that person and bring them back from the dead even. But for a lot of us, there's a lot of immaturity. And I'm not saying only mature people can do that. But it's like we haven't taken time to develop to grow in our faith. Our faith is 100% what it is. But we haven't grown in it, exercised it to be able to enjoy it. Okay? We want to, to transform. We want to change. We want to, 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 to mature in Christ. And most of the time, Christianity is telling us what? This is what you need to do. Okay? And you know what? Faith leads to action, so doing isn't wrong. But listen to this. Doing to become is wrong. We do because we are. So now you realize, I've got Jesus in me. I can lay my hands on the sick and they will recover. Not because I am holy, but because He is holy. And because He's living inside of me. Now knowledge is power and its responsibility and now you want to step out and go for it or you listen to a teaching on healing you've got you've got uh, uh, you can lay hands on the sick and see them recover so now you have to do it come on ben go lay hands on, on on tisa or go lay hands on someone on the street and now we're pushing you forcing you and you're like i don't I, i'm not ready for this because maybe you just don't believe it or maybe you just not your heart's not there yet you need you need some time for the the word to take root in your heart in order to produce some fruit. But instead, you're a six-year-old being told to go to the shop with the car keys, go and uh, 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 draw some money from the ATM, and, and go and buy some groceries. And it's like, well, hopefully one of those things will happen. You'll put the key in the car, you'll turn it, and you won't go farther, <laughs> because you can't reach the pedals. You know? So, you know, I have to say this because this is important. You've got the, we all have a mature Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit in you doesn't need to mature. The Holy Spirit in you is exactly the same Holy Spirit that Elliot has. I wanted to say Etienne. Etienne as well. <laughs> My son and uh, 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 the other pastor. Both of them have the same Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you know, we've both got the same Jesus living inside of us. We believe it differently. Maybe. Maybe you believe it more than me or vice versa. But we believe it differently. And so now we just need to believe, start to believe what the Word says and then step into it more. Okay? So you can't grow the Holy Spirit in you. Your spirit can't grow, but you can grow in your knowledge of the things of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 24. Let's see here. It says, But I certify you, brethren, 
that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For neither I received it of man, and neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye heard of my conversation in time past in the Jewish religion, Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' uh, religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and stayed with him for fifteen days, and the other apostles of the other apostles I saw none except for James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I come, I came into the, the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and was unknown by the face of the church of Judea, which was in Christ. So Paul says, You have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently, another translation says, and tried to destroy it. But then I changed. Okay, so now we're talking about change, and we should all have this desire to be more like Jesus in our actions. How does it happen? And we want to look at the example of Saul becoming Paul, because that's probably the most drastic one that's there. As far as I know, there's no souls in the room. There's nobody that extreme in the way that they're hurting people and, and living out. Now, you might be hurting people and you might have things in your life that you don't like. Okay? You might be struggling with some sin. You might be struggling with some character issues or something like that. I'm going to show you how to change that this year. I'm going to show you how to change that today. That, that's what this message is about. How to change according to grace. Because often there's just a lot of pressure and when there's pressure, <laughs> I'm trying to think, I've got an example in my head but I'm trying to think if it's appropriate. <laughs> you know, if it's not appropriate, forget I said it, okay. <laughs> but it's like, like, like it, 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 as a guy, if you're standing at the urinal and another guy comes and stands next to you, it's like all of a sudden you don't want to go to the loo anymore. Like it's kind of like you're shy. Like it, 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 it's kind of difficult. This, it, it, it's like that. Where all of a sudden, now forget I said that if that offends you. Because the thing is, it's like, it's like when there's pressure, often you can't perform. Like, if, like even if it's like um, the, the, you're a good chef and now you've got 60 seconds and you need to make whatever. It's like, go. Most people will fail at something that they can do in less than 60 seconds. Okay, when the pressure's on, often that's when, when things don't start to work. And I mean, if you look at Paul, I mean, I'm going to read that again. He says, you, you heard of my former life. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, but I changed. So let's take a look at, at uh, Saul and his radical change that he had. This guy wholeheartedly persecuted the church. He hunted down Christians and he arrested them. Okay? He became Paul. Saint Paul. 
You know, now you're Saint uh, uh, Priyank and Saint Tisa and Saint Donovan, and we're all saints, amen. But but let's just we, we talk about Paul from the Bible here. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament and gave us most of our revelation of grace, the explanation of this uh, the, this um, wonderful truth. And then he says in Galatians 1:23, they heard only. That he which destroyed us in times past is now preaching the faith he once destroyed. So, the people saw this drastic transformation in him. That's the kind of transformation you want people to see in your life if you're still rough around the edges. Amen? That's the kind of testimony you want. People are like, wow, something's changed. Hmm? Even with Priyank, I had a phone call from his mom to say he's definitely a different person. <laughs> so, you know, he, after being here and experiencing the message and growing in grace here and everything, going back to his family, they were like, There's, you definitely have, have grown. There's something, you know, and that's the kind of transformation that you want. When you go and spend time with other people that you haven't seen for a while, and wow, you're not the same Lucas I knew, or whoever you are. Amen. So let's look at Paul's radical conversion to Christianity. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Where are we? Acts. Second half of the Bible. And I'm going to read from the New King James. Verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, there was a great persecution that rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc in the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, if without grace, we would be saying, wow, this guy really needed a club. This guy doesn't deserve forgiveness. Yeah, there's people like that maybe that you know that don't deserve forgiveness. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand. I'm pretty sure that you're thinking of someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness. If there's no one in your family, in your household, you know, think of politicians and things like that. People like that. Sorry, that was nasty to say thing. People like that. Think about people like that who don't deserve forgiveness. You know what the amazing thing is? Is that they've already got forgiveness. <laughs> so whether they deserve it or not is not the question. What is the question? Because John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was before you and I existed, before Julius existed, before anybody existed, Mugabe existed, whoever. All of these guys, before Stalin, before Hitler, before all of these guys existed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then you got 1 John 2 verse 2 which says, And He is the propitiation, the payment for our sin, and not only for our sin, but the sin of the whole world. Okay, so before the horrors of the Holocaust and World War II and all of that, all that sin was forgiven. It's not excused, but it's forgiven. 
There's still natural repercussions, but it's forgiven. What's the, what's the problem then? Is that people aren't receiving this good news of forgiveness. People aren't receiving this impacting message and then allowing it to change them. The forgiveness belongs to them, but they haven't received it and then they haven't changed by it. They might even be Christian. But there's a lot of Christians who don't know they're forgiven. They're trying to be forgiven. Amen? That's why probably 90%, if not more, of the church of, of Jesus Christ fasts. <laughs> That's why most Christians fast. Because they feel sorry. Because they're trying to deal with something. There's some people who do it for good reasons, but the, in my experience it's the minority. Most people are fasting because they feel bad. That's what Lent is all about. If you don't know what Lent is, don't worry. <laughs> Let's go uh, over to chapter 9, verse 1 to 8. So this was, that was Saul. That was what he was doing. This is who he was. And then verse 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this guy is passionate. This guy is serious. Amen? This guy wants to do it right. He's like, you know, mayor, <laughs> bishop, whoever is in charge, he's like, authorize me to deal with these troublemakers. I want these guys are blaspheming against the one true God. This is this is his mentality as a Jew boy, the Jew of Jews, and he's like these guys are blaspheming. Let me deal with this. God's evidently not doing anything. I don't know why God's not dealing with them. Let me be God's man for the, of power for the hour. Let me deal with them. Let, give me letters and I'll take them. Verse three. So this guy, remember, he's serious. He's serious about this, okay? He's just watched uh, 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 the disciples bury Stephen, who stood as the first martyr, or fell as the first martyr rather, uh, uh, because he got stoned for, for, for believing in Christ and standing up for, for the, the, the message. Verse 3, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around, around him from heaven. Did I speak on this here recently? I don't remember where I spoke on this. But he, 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 a light shone around him from heaven and then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus sounds better than that. But it's in red. Okay? Now think about it. He fell to the ground because of a bright light and I'm pretty sure he fell to the ground and he was in a puddle at that moment because he got so scared. Okay, I'm just trying to paint a picture. Think about it. The same way we, we spoke about it with the, the birth of Christ. The shepherds are out in the, in, the, in the dark and all of a sudden there's an angel. I'm sure they wet themselves. This is the same kind of uh, situation. Okay? Saul, all of a sudden, has an encounter of supernatural origin and he's like, whoa, 
What's going on here? I mean, you can see by his response, verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Lord, meaning supreme one, above all. Who are you? Okay? Then the Lord said, listen to this one. Are you ready for it? I am Jesus. <laughs> that was enough. He didn't have to go further. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. <laughs> I mean, whom you are persecuting. You're, he's persecuting Christians and Jesus is taking this personally and saying, uh-uh, you're not persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. And he has just acknowledged that he's having an encounter with the Lord, someone supernatural, someone above. Okay? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay? I am Jesus. The, the passion says, I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Okay? And then the, 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 the New King James, it says, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? What that is, is saying is, is it hard for you to um, uh, 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 resist the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit? This is showing us the Holy Spirit had been working in his heart, probably from when he saw Stephen stand for his faith. And when he saw Stephen stand and then fall for his faith, and then he saw how the believers got around Stephen and buried him, something must have been happening in his heart. This guy, Saul, knew the scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. He knew them. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah. He knew the, 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 the Bible that they had. He was serious about his faith. That's why he was persecuting the church. He wasn't bloodthirsty. He was wanting to stand for truth. And he got so angry that people were blaspheming in his mind that that's why he was rejecting them and, and dealing with them. Okay? Look at verse 6. It says, it's amazing. It says, And so he trembling and astonished. Imagine what you would feel like if you've been all of a sudden believing one thing and then all of a sudden you realize I was beating down the wrong door and I was actually fighting against what is true. So he, this guy was probably more than wet. <laughs> okay, he was, he was freaked out, trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Listen to this. Arise and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. What did he... What, what happened there? What happened right then and there? I had to count how many letters. It's a five-letter word. <laughs> Grace. He experienced grace. See, he was under Judaism. Where there is... It, it, uh, the Old Testament is full of grace, by the way. We'll get there. But he, in his mind, was seeing a God of, of legalism. Because he had chosen to embrace law and not see the grace that the law was pointing towards. And because of that, in his shoes, he probably thought, I deserve to be zapped right now. Lightning bolt. <laughs> Pile of ash. Put me with uh, uh, Mrs. Lot. <laughs> Pillar of salt and a pile of ash. 
That's probably what he experienced. Why? What he expected. Why? Because he was treating the church as they, as he thought they deserved. And he obviously thought he should get treated as he deserved. But he experienced better than he deserved and he didn't get what he deserved. That's called grace and it's called mercy. Now Saul was the perfect Jew. He was wholeheartedly serving God and thought that he was doing what God wanted him to do. He thought God was angry. He thought God must have been punishing sin and all of that. And, and so that's why he was doing what he was doing. And then all of a sudden he experiences this, this, this moment of grace. And he must have expected the worst. But he experienced grace. He experienced the goodness of God. Now this is, you, there's a, a principle that you become like the God that you, you, you believe. So it's like a lot of Christians are extremely judgmental. Why? Because they believe God is judgmental. A lot of people who are, are condemning towards you are themselves actually con- feeling condemned inside. Nobody, no Christian who knows they're not condemned is going to condemn you. Because they know that they're free. And they know that if they're free, you're free from condemnation, guilt and shame. A, a Christian who's putting condemnation, guilt and shame on another Christian is one that themselves feels condemnation, guilt and shame. I've seen it again and again and again. The pastor who's preaching hard against sin is himself in sin. It's, it, I've sat there in church and going, this guy keeps attacking this issue. Like, I can't help but wonder. And then a few weeks later, sadly, you know, Something happens and they're exposed. And why? Because they are giving what they are feel that they are getting. Why is that? Because they don't know the true nature of God. When we know the true nature of God, we start to treat other people better. When we know the true nature of God, that He's always loving, He's always merciful, He's always gracious, He's always kind, it changes us. Amen? So, Saul had a radical experience with Jesus. Okay? He responded to Jesus, Who are you, Lord? He, he put him in a place. He elevated him. And then he responds, uh, uh, trembling and astonished. A little bit wet. And he says, What do you want me to do? And then Jesus sends him on his way. And uh, he encounters Ananias. And Ananias is waiting for him. and Because you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, Go to this place and you're going to meet a man there, Saul. And what does Ananias say? God, I don't know about this one. This one is the one that's persecuting the church. I've heard about this one. I don't know if you've heard about him. But I've heard about him, Father. Like, like the, Ananias is kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold the phone. Like, Father, are you sure about this one? And God says, go. And he goes. And Saul gets saved. Becomes Paul. And the rest is amazing history. Okay? He encountered grace. And it transformed him. This is what transforms us. Now there's something else I want to share with us. I wasn't planning to. But it fits in so perfectly here. Go to John chapter 1. You might need to take this home and think about it a bit. 
before you're rejected or accepted. Amen? <laughs> I had to think about it a bit. Because uh, if you've read any of my stuff and if you've listened to me for a while, you know what I teach from John chapter 1, verse 17. Okay? John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we have really misunderstood this verse. Okay? And you can see that the, the, the truth of this is also what... Um, uh, uh, let, let me say it like this and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to John chapter 1 and I'll come back. Okay? So what happened with Saul was he experienced the manifestation of grace and truth, which is Jesus. Okay? That's what he experienced. He experienced the manifestation of grace and truth. Okay? But now, let's explain that. You go to John chapter 1 verse 17. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. You know, when it says the law, it's referring to the writings of Moses. Okay? You know what's amazing is in John chapter 5 verse 46, it says, John 5 46, For if ye had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus speaking. And Jesus is saying, If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for Moses wrote about me. Okay, that's John chapter 5. I'm going to say it again slower. Jesus is saying, if you believed Moses, what is he talking about? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. Jesus is saying, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why? Because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is speaking about me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm a grace preacher. And what most of us get wrong is we take John chapter 1 verse 17 and we put Moses and Jesus against each other. And we say, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we put them against each other. But if you look at the word but there, it's in italics. And if you read the introduction to your uh, King James Bible, authorized version, it says that the italics are added by the translators to make grammatical sense. And unfortunately, sometimes when they add an italics word, they are interpreting, not translating. And with that little bit of information, you can be a good Bible scholar. And then say, okay, let's take the but out. And say that it says, For the law came by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The writings of the law, the, uh, the law, the writings of Moses is what gave us the law. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What I believe this is trying to say, and it'll be something that we have to get into in a bit more depth another time, but is that um, the, 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 John is not contrasting Jesus and Moses, but he's showing that. The fulfillment of Moses is Jesus. The fulfillment of Moses is Jesus. The Bible's in harmony. We can't chuck out the Old Testament. We're not under the law, but the fulfillment of the law is Jesus. Jesus himself said, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. 
And so if you read the law, it's full of grace and truth. But it's not manifested yet because it's pointing to, it's the shadow pointing to the reality. The law is the shadow that we are not under. We are living in the reality. The shadow is pointing to the reality. And the reality himself is Jesus, who is the manifestation of grace and truth. So the law came by Moses. You could say that the promise came by Moses. Because the Old Testament is really the promise of the Messiah coming, the promise of salvation, the pointing to salvation. And then in the New we see the fulfillment and we see the explanation of our salvation and what we've got. So I'm not saying the law is for us. But what I am saying is that the law was fulfilled by the manifestation of grace and truth, which is Jesus. And Jesus is revealed in the law. So, what changes us? Now, if we look at this, Saul experienced grace. He experienced the manifestation of what he knew according to letters. Because he was a Hebrew scholar. He knew the letters. But he didn't know the manifestation. He knew the written word. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way through to Malachi. He knew that. And what was that? That was all pointing to Jesus. Saul knew that, but he did not connect the dots for some reason. He has an encounter with Jesus and all of a sudden the dots are connected. <laughs> all of a sudden he's like, wow, Lord. <laughs> and, he, and he goes in the opposite direction. Grace changed everything. Not legalism. Not human effort. Grace changed everything. His change, if you read the rest of Acts, his change seems to be pretty effortless. The kind of change we all want. Amen? How many of you enjoy trying to fulfill your New Year's resolutions to be a better person? It's difficult. For, for some of you more than others. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, you want to be a better person. You want to be manifesting more of Jesus, but it's just difficult. I don't see any account of Paul now saying, I really feel like just arresting a few Christians today. <laughs> like, I really just feel I miss those days. You know, and then he's testifying about it like if it, as if it's bad, but you can hear he actually misses it. Like some people testify about the drug, sex, and rock, rock and roll and all that stuff. Like you know, it's like they're saying I was really just the worst sinner ever, and they got the big smile on their face. And this is what I used to do, guys. It was horrible. But you're like, wow, this guy seems to miss it. You know, and some people do miss it, and you, there's there's understanding for that. But what I'm showing you is that when we have a grace encounter. What is grace? Undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. It's Jesus himself. When we have that encounter, it transforms us. The first grace encounter you need to have is salvation. Where you receive the message of the gospel and it automatically without you doing anything, because it's effortless change, without you needing to, 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 to push any buttons or blow any whistles, all of a sudden, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now you've got a transformed, renewed spirit within you. Amen? Your spirit is His spirit, 100%. How do you as a Christian now start to live like one? 
You've got to know who you are. It's identity. It's not effort. It's identity. Sometimes it's a choice to choose to spend the time to get to know who you are, to choose to act like who you are, but it's not a, it's not a, a difficult thing. It, it should be an effortless thing. You know, you're either saved or you're not. When you get saved, now it's easy to live saved. When you start to change your thinking. Okay? A Christian who is struggling to live like a Christian doesn't know who they are in Christ. Period. They might think they know, but it's just that they haven't accepted the truth about who they are. They may subconsciously think, I still need to become. But it's not about becoming, it's about discovering who you are in Christ. Not becoming, but discovering. Let me give you another verse. This is one you might want to keep. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 from the ESV says, For we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The ISV, 2 Corinthians 3.18, says, As all of us reflect the glory of the Lord, with unveiled faces we are becoming more like Him, with ever-increasing glory by the, the Lord's Spirit. So, this is talking about how, as we focus in the mirror of the Word, we see the glory of the Lord. And it transforms us. So, how do you transform? I'm simplifying it now. How do you experience transformation in your life? You look in the mirror as a Christian. The mirror of the Word, the Gospel. Okay? And as you look into the Gospel... What do you see? Now, before you say anything out loud, think about it. Because most people shout out the wrong answer. <laughs> what do you see when you look in the mirror? Yourself. So if we as Christians are looking into the mirror and we're seeing the glory of God, where is that glory? It's in yourself. And yet most of us are looking for the glory Hopefully the cloud is... We leave the windows open because we want the cloud to come. And then when it comes, we shut them. But it's, that, that's foolishness. It can't happen like that. There's sometimes manifestations and stuff. I'm not saying that there's not. But that's not the glory. We call it a glory cloud or whatever. It can't be glory because the glory is in you. When we're looking... When we see the glory of God, the goodness of God in the, in the gospel, in the word, what happens? It's going to transform us. It's going to change us. And we will start to mature and become more like Him in different areas of our lives. So, if there's an area of your life you want to change, the worst thing that you can do is focus on that area. The worst thing that you can do is try and focus on that area. You know, we've, we've walked with many people, struggling with many different types of things, and... The number one thing we don't do is focus on their problem. You might need to put up some kind of guidelines and some boundaries and say, you know, certain things to stop certain situations and whatever, but what we don't do is, is focus on the problem. We focus on Jesus. We focus on who they already are in Christ. We focus in on the glory that's inside of them. Not the glory that's somewhere out there over the rainbow, 
but the glory that's inside of them, that's close, so that they can experience transformation and so that they can change. Amen? I mean, even in the area of, 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 uh, of righteousness, you don't need to become any more righteous because you are 100% right with God. You need to realize how right you are with God. And the more right you, you realize you are with God, that God sees you as right and He accepts you, like that song says, you have a seat at the table. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. It's yours. When you realize that, then you can start to enjoy that. Because it's now the performance is off. It boils down to how do you see yourself? That's how you're going to transform is changing the way you see yourself on the inside of yourself. You've got to change the way that you see yourself. You shouldn't see yourself as a loser. You shouldn't see yourself as a sinner. You might sin. You might lose. That doesn't make you a loser or a sinner. You see yourself as righteous. I'm right with God. You were a sinner. You got saved by grace. Now you are 100% right with God 100% of the time. You know, you might act like a dog, but you're not a dog. You might act like a, a, a sinner, but you're not a sinner. You might act like a moron, but you're not a moron. <laughs> you know? Start to see yourself as God sees you, and then you start to live it out. It becomes effortless, and the effortless change is what we desire. If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch via email at info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page, Grace Life Rondebosch.